been a number of years ago now, but my family and I, we took a trip to Washington, D.C. It's one of the great things about Darcy's family being nine children. We can vacation wherever we want to in the country and stay for free. <laughs> so Darcy's brother was living in Washington, D.C. We decided we hadn't seen him for a while, so we would go there and visit him. And his wife was kind enough to be our tour guide around the city of Washington, D.C. She let us know which subways to get onto, which ones to get off. She tried to get us to get off a couple of times while they were moving, but that's beside the point. I was amazed as we went around and looked at all the historic sites and as we took in all the national monuments, I was amazed to see how much scripture was etched on the sides of some of those buildings, on the sides of some of those monuments. I mean, crazy passages like from Deuteronomy, etchings of verses, full verses, put on the side of some of those monuments. We hear so much about the separation of church and state and how scripture and the things of Christ uh, have to be separate from our government, that our founding fathers would disagree. We've often heard about George Washington and about how well known he was for his faith in Christ. Oftentimes when they were in battle on a Sunday, he had pre-written sermons from some great men of God, Spurgeon and Edwards, and he would read those sermons to his troops on Sunday mornings. Thomas Jefferson is the third president of the United States, and he said this, the Bible is the cornerstone of liberty. Benjamin Franklin is the one who inaugurated the practice of prayer before deliberation. And that's something that still prevails in Congress. The first meeting that Congress had of the United States of America, their first meeting was a prayer meeting. It wasn't a prayer time and then a meeting. The first time our Congress met, it was a prayer meeting. Andrew Jackson is the seventh president of the United States. And he said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Daniel Webster, the great American statesman, said this, there is no solid basis for civilization, but in the word of God. If we are to abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering. William McKinley was the 25th president of the United States, and he declared this, the more profoundly we study this wonderful book, the more closely we observe its precepts, the better citizens we will become, and the higher will be the destiny of our nation. Unfortunately, the lack of reverence for the Word of God and the lack of reverence for God has drifted into our governmental system. And unfortunately, it has also drifted into our churches today. And we have churches in our nation that have drifted away from the Word of God and drifted away from the things of Christ. This morning, we continue journeying through the book of Nehemiah. And we have seen the rebuilding of the wall. That has been complete. Jerusalem is now inside the wall that has been rebuilt. 
but the restoration of the people of Israel, the turning them back to God and seeking to be founded and having that strong, strong foundation on God is something that is lacking. But Nehemiah has taken steps, not only to rebuild the wall, but Nehemiah has taken steps to make sure the nation of Israel is restored. And it is restored to where it needs to be. And this all gets underway. We saw it beginning last week in chapter 7. But here in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we see this turning to the Word of God. And as we look at this passage here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 8, there are three headings that we're going to use. And three headings that we're going to use. And we see the first one is Ezra brought out the book in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 through 6, we see Ezra read from the book. And in verses 7 through 8, we see Ezra explain the book. Now, before we dive into this, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance we have just to be here this morning, to be able to look into your word. And I pray, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, your word would look into us, open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this morning, as we gather around your word, when we leave, we'll be able to say that we have heard from you. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. Allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to be looking to you. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing we want to see here this morning is Ezra bringing out the book. Look at verse 1. It says, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Now, as chapter 8 begins here, we see the people gathering together. And as we see the people gathering together, we see unity here in their gathering. It says the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. The last time we were together, we saw them separate. We have seen them working together. But in verse 73 of chapter 7, it says this, And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. So they're no longer together. They were separated as we ended last week. But here in chapter 8, verse 1, we see them once again coming and gathering together. And they gathered together as one man. It says here that they gathered by the water gate. They weren't forced to come and to gather. This was a gathering of their own desire. And there's this picture or there's this unity that's here as they all come together together. And there's probably 40, 50,000 people here gathered together here by the water gate. Now, as verse 1 continues, it says this, And they told Ezra the scribe. Now, we have mentioned Ezra a couple of times in our study so far, but this is the first time that Ezra is mentioned here by Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. He was, Ezra was one of the most notable figures of the second temple. He was one of the ones who was there in charge of leading the people back to God. Ezra led a group of exiles back to Jerusalem about 14 years prior to Nehemiah's coming to Jerusalem. 
Now, we have seen Ezra mentioned as a scribe. Uh, it was in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, that we see him mentioned. It says this, Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So we see here the description of what a scribe is. A scribe is someone who's skilled in the law of Moses. And so Ezra was a scribe. He was skilled in the law of Moses. We also read that Ezra was a priest. This is Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. Ezra has been faithfully serving God. He set his heart on the idea, on the desire to study the word of God, to know the word of God, to obey the word of God, and then to turn around and proclaim it to the nation of Israel so that they could hear it, so that they would obey it. And that's what he's been doing for his 14 years while he's been here in Jerusalem. Now, as we look at it and we see him faithfully serving, we don't see a lot of evidence here of their religious enthusiasm. We don't really see it making a mark. But now here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see the wheels turning. We see the people of Israel begin to turn to God. We see the people of Israel beginning to turn back to the word of God. Now notice what it says there in verse 1. It says, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Ezra, bring the book. That's what they say. Now, I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. I would, I would love to hear that. That's like as a kid, when my dad would come home and he would say, let's go for a ride. Grab your gun. <laughs> There's going to be some shooting that's going to take place. And I was excited. Or he would come home and he would say, grab your glove. And we would go out in the yard and we would play catch. That was exciting to hear that. Here is Ezra. The people were gathered together. They say, Ezra, we're here. Grab the book. This is kind of like when Jesus sees a group of people together, right? Jesus teaches every time a group of people are together. Ezra has this group of people together. What am I going to do with 50,000 people? Grab the book. That's what Ezra does. The people of Jerusalem were hungering for the word of God. And you know what amazes me about this and what excites me about this? Is that the people took the initiative. The people said, grab the book. Grab the book. Ezra's been trying that, but now the people are saying, grab the book. Grab the book. They didn't want to hear about Ezra's opinion. They didn't want to hear about what Ezra thought. They wanted the book. They wanted to hear from the book. Sometimes we wonder as we look around our country, we wonder how churches drift away from the Word of God. We 
look down our noses at some of those pastors who, who proclaim and, and share things that are not the Word of God. They teach something different than the Word of God. And we look at those pastors and we just say, how can you do that? How can you do that? But you know what? The churches they pastor are full of people. They are full of people. The reason they are full of people, the reason they have huge congregations, is because the people want to have their peers tickled. They want to hear how good they are rather than hear from the word of God. But the people here in Ezra's time gather together and they say, we want to hear from the book. We want to hear from the book. Paul shares this with Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy was a pastor. Paul was encouraging him to preach the word. Preach the word. Now notice what he says in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People will take the initiative and they will desire to have their ears tickled. And as they get their ears tickled, they will come. Ear ticklers are going to draw ear ticklers. And people will accumulate ear ticklers to satisfy their own passions. What do we want? What is our desire? Do we desire to hear the truth of God's word proclaimed? Or do we desire to have our ears tickled? Do we desire to hear the opinions of some man? Or do we desire to hear the word of God? That really is a decision that we each have to make as individuals. As individuals. How do we want? What do we want to partake of? Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is what Peter is saying that we should desire. We should desire pure spiritual milk. We should desire the word of God and its impurity. That's what we should crave. That's what we should desire. And you know what? A newborn babe doesn't know how to speak. But man, when they're hungry at 2 a.m., everyone knows. Even in a fourplex apartment, everyone knows when it's dinner time, even if it's at 2 in the morning. 
That is a craving. That is a longing. And we should have that same longing for the Word of God. Do you know that in every genuine revival, every revival that has had a lasting impact, the basis of that revival has been the Word of God. And every one of them. It's been a turning to the Word of God. The Word of God being proclaimed has drawn people, has changed people, has made those long-lasting revivals take place. That is the impact that the Word of God has. There has been a spiritual famine in Israel. The people are gathering together. They are starving for spiritual nourishment. For 70 years, Zerubbabel has been attempting to restore biblical worship. But now, it is taking place. Now, there is a turning to God's word. Look what happens in verse 2. So, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. We caught a glimpse of Ezra's heart. He hungered for the word. He desired to proclaim the word. They asked for it, and Ezra brought it. It's like saying, sick him to a dog. He's right here in the middle of it. And there is this great gathering of people, both men and women alike. They're gathered, and Ezra, come, Ezra comes, and he brings the word of God. Now notice verse 2, the last part of that. On the first day of the seventh month. Now, the seventh month happens to be this month of Tishri. Now, that doesn't mean too much to us, but this is the Jewish equivalent to our New Year's. This was a special time on the Jewish calendar, and it was the beginning of the Jewish civil calendar. During this seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets would be celebrated on the first day, and that is what is known as Rosh Hashanah. This was a special Sabbath day where no work would be done, and there would be a memorial of a blowing of trumpets. And the blowing of those trumpets would be a call for introspection and a call for repentance. You don't think God's been working behind the scenes here? Just as they get the walls built, just as they get started to be on their feet, it's a time for them to repent, a time for them to come together, offer a special offering. The timing is perfect. The Day of Atonement would be celebrated in the seventh month on the tenth day. And that is known as Yom Kippur. And this is the most holy day where they would come together, the high priest would perform rituals, and they would offer sacrifices, and it would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. And the high priest would do this once a year. And this atonement would take place for the sins of Israel 
once a year. That would be on the 10th. And then on the 15th through the 21st, the Feast of Booze would take place, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This would be a time of celebration, reminding of God's provision, of how God continues to provide for them. But it was also a reminder for them of how God provided for them for the 40 years that they wandered through the wilderness. They would put up tabernacles or little booths, and they would sleep in the booths to remind themselves of what their forefathers did as they journeyed from Egypt to the Promised Land and how they took that 40-year detour. This is a perfect time for the nation of Israel to get right with God. And that's what takes place here, this fresh, this new beginning. So they are craving, they're desiring for Ezra to bring out the book. And Ezra brings out the book. And then not to disappoint, Ezra reads from the book. Verse 3. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. He comes and he gathers by the square, the square by the water gate. This is not in the temple. If he gathered them in the temple, women and children would not be able to be there. But this is out in the public square where everyone can gather. And Ezra reads from early morning to midday. That's about six hours. Let's try that today, shall we? For six hours, they gather together and listen to Ezra read the word of God. And look what it says. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Talk about desiring to hear from God. The word of God is open and they're attentive to what is being said because they desire to hear from God. There is an expectancy to hear from God. You know, as I think about that, I often wonder about us. When we get up in the mornings on a Sunday morning and we make the trip all the way to downtown Medina, do we come with an expectancy to hear from God? Do we come with that desire that today God is going to have something for me? When we get up in the mornings and we open our Bibles or we open our phones, do we desire to hear from God? Do we expect to hear from God? When we start our little devotional, whether it's the daily bread or the one that comes on our phone or wherever it is, do we open that up and go, you know what? I am going to hear from God today. Do we have that kind of expectancy? If we see it as the word of God, if we know that God has written this for us, that should be how we see the word of God. That should be our expectancy is to hear from the word of God. 
if our quiet time or our church attending time is one of those things that we just kind of have to make ourselves do, it's going to be difficult. But if we wake up, and we're expecting to hear from God as we open his word. We're expecting to hear from God as we pull it apart from us. It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. I know. Because I've been there, done that, and I have two t-shirts. My wife says I have to throw away five, but I have two. There's something about that with an expectancy. But doesn't that change our attitude and everything? You know? When we wake up on our birthday and we're just expecting to be older, no. But man, when we wake up on our birthday and we're expecting a great day, isn't it a difference? When we wake up and we're expecting a horrible day, how many of it turns out as a horrible day? But man, when we wake up and we're expecting today to be a good day, it's going to be a good day. And that's how we need to come to the Word of God. And that's how they were there. Look at verse 4. It says, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shemah, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseiah, and his on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, uh, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Hash Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. <coughs> so he stood on a wooden platform. Can you imagine gathering together and having someone stand up on a wooden platform and opening the Word of God? I wonder where we got such a crazy theory. But that's what they did, and they made it especially for this purpose. And these men who were there, they stood beside him, and, and they were priests. And they stood beside him as he read the law. Some of them were on his left, some of them were on his right. But there's a sign of solidarity here as they, as they gather together in unison. This is the word of God that's being taught. This is the word of God that's being proclaimed. Now notice verse 5. It says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Ezra would have had a scroll, which we visited Cornerstone last week. And Cornerstone has a scroll from like the 17th or 18th century. The 18th century in a little glass case. And it's this table about this big, and that scroll is opened up there. And you can read it in Hebrew. I was going to, but I don't know Hebrew, so I couldn't. But, I mean, just to stand there and look at that was just so amazing. Ezra gets up there and he unrolls the scroll and begins to read. And the people stood as he read from the scroll. They were not hearing from mere men, but they were hearing the word of God. And they stood. Now, some people have said, well, this is kind of worshiping of the word of God. But this is not. This is reverence for the word of God. Because it is 
these words of God. From the mouth of God. And with reverence, they stood. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose sight of what we have in the Word of God. Sometimes it goes in the back of our car, up in the back window. Sometimes we don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the house. We don't know where it is. They say that if every Christian in America opened their Bible at the same time, we would have a dust storm like they had in the Great Depression. And you know what? That's greatly depressing. Because we don't know what we have in the Word of God. But God has given us his word. And as they hear this, there's been a famine. They haven't been able to hear the word of God. And now they're hearing the word of God. And they're standing and they're drinking it in. Children, husbands, wives, men, women, children, all gathering together. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. He was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And they lifted up their hands. Ezra blessed the Lord, and the people responded, Amen, Amen. It is so. It is so. They worshiped, it says in verse 6. They bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This has been missing. There is reverence for God's word, and there is a reverence for God. Ezra read from the book, and this took place. But Ezra didn't stop there. Ezra explained. It says in verse 7, And Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, uh, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleiah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Reading the word of God was done and understanding was given. Explanations were given. We think about this. This is thousands of years. The scriptures were written in Hebrew. Ezra is reading it from Hebrew, thousand-year-old. Do you know how much languages change? We think just about how languages change from the King James Version to some of our more modern translations. There are words in there we don't understand because the English language changes. Ezra is up there reading this thousand-year-old language. Most of them, as they have been in exile, have learned Arminian. They, they learned something different than that old Hebrew. And they are explaining it to them, giving them understanding, help them to understand. It says in verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is a picture of preaching. It was not just the reading of the Word of God, but it was an explaining of the Word of God. As they had learned Aramaic while being in exile, 
all of a sudden they're hearing Hebrew and it's being explained to them so that they can understand. God, God has given them the, his word and as the word was being read, it was being explained. And this is a picture of expository preaching. Going verse by verse through the law of God, through the first five books of scripture. Verse by verse, sharing with it, explaining it to them so that the people understand. Letting the scriptures speak, explaining what the scriptures say, explaining what the scriptures mean. Not the opinions or the ideas of man, but being able to say, thus says the Lord. And that's exactly what expository preaching is, is letting the scriptures speak. And that's what we have right here in this book. Someone can stand in front of us on a platform and share with us and say, thus says the Lord. Because we have it recorded for us. And you know what? This is in my native tongue. It's English. That's the only language I know. And it's in my language. And I can read it in my own language. We gather together and we read it and we have it explained to us so that we can apply it to our lives so that the Word of God can impact our hearts and impact our minds and change our behavior. It's more than just reading it. It's reading it, it's learning it, and it's applying it. And this is what Ezra's doing here for the people of Jerusalem. Giving them understanding. Helping them to understand. But you know the desire is from the people. From the people. I'm going to challenge you on the double dog area. Go home this morning and read through Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 8, and even 1 through 12, and circle every time you see the word people. People, 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 people. The people desired to hear from God. And as I said, okay, here it is. This is what God has to say. So there you have it. The people gathered. Ezra brought out the book. Ezra read from the book. And Ezra explained the book. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? I think the first thing that we need to do is I think we need to come to that point where we have reverence for God. Where we realize and we recognize who God is. And you know the only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can do that. We have to know Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here today and you've never recognized your need for a Savior. But you know, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. And as a result of that, they were changed. And they were now dead in their trespasses and sins. They, they had a, a desire to seek evil rather than a desire to seek God. And Adam and Eve, bless their hearts, 
they pass that desire on to their kids and to their kids and to their kids and to your grandparents and to your parents. And now you have that same desire. You have that desire to seek the things of the flesh rather than the things of God. And that's where our magnetic north, that's where we just naturally go because of this sin nature, because we have been corrupted by sin. But you know, God desired to have a relationship with us. That's what we were created for, is to have that intimate relationship with God. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And you know, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, was without sin in every way, didn't think or do or say anything that displeased God. Everything Jesus did, fully pleasing to God. And then Jesus went to the cross. And he died on that cross and he paid the penalty. He paid the price for your sins and for mine. And if we return to Jesus and recognize our need for that salvation that he's offering us, the Bible says that we'll be forgiven. The Bible says we can have that relationship with God. And you know what? When we have that relationship with God, we recognize who God is. We can have that reverence for God. But it's going to start with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So maybe you're here today. You've never turned to Christ as Lord and Savior. Today is the day. Don't let today be, go by without it. And when we have that reverence for God, when we recognize who God is, guess what happens with his word? All of a sudden, we have reverence for his word. All of a sudden, we have a craving for his word. All of a sudden, we just can't get enough. We've just got to have more and more. We grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who God is. We've got to have that. Maybe there's some things that have come into our life. And, and you know what sin does? Sin has a way of keeping us from the book. And maybe there's some sin that's stuck into your life. And the word of God just hasn't been as good to you as it once was. Opportunity for us to do and listen to that trumpet and give that opportunity for us to kind of examine ourselves. You know what, Lord? Maybe there's something that I've stepped off track. Maybe my, my focus has gotten somewhere else. I want to renew that. I want to change that. I want to draw back to you. I want to seek you again. And you know, as we do that in God's word, I take on that look again. I have that desire once again to be in it. Let it start feeding us and nourishing us. And we've got to have that. Maybe we're here today, and you know, the word of God just has not been important to us. Maybe the word of God hasn't been important to us. Why not? Why not? All scripture is God breathed and it's profitable. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why would we want to go anywhere else? Why would we want anything else? The Word of God is what changes our lives. The word of God is what changes lives. We should desire to be in the word of God. And we should desire for people when they stand on platforms 
to proclaim to us the uncut, non-biased version of the Word of God. Because we don't care what somebody's opinion is. We don't care what someone's ideas are. Our desire should be to hear from God. To hear from what God has for us. That should be our desire. And as we gather together, that should be the thing that brings us together as a group. I desire to hear from God. I desire to hear what God has for me today. And I'm expecting to hear it.